For the next instalment in our World Pride series on queer gathering spaces, there are some adult themes. So if that's a problem for you, you may want to come back in about 10 minutes. If you were a gay man coming of age before the 2010s, your first sexual experience might well have been at a sauna. Bathhouses and saunas are a fixture of gay culture. They were places to go and meet other interested men in a relaxing and safer environment. Public beats came with risk. But these spaces have been steadily disappearing in Australia since their heyday of the mid to late 20th century. Nat Tenchich finds out whether the sauna still has value for gay men today. Academic Simon Copland was in his late 20s when he set foot in a gay sauna for the first time. It was a really formative experience. I went to a sauna in Berlin, which is a really famous one called The Boiler or Der Boiler, and it's huge. Uh, And I went with my partner and we were both very nervous going into it, uh, both really unsure about what the experience would be like. Um, And what we found was a really exciting place, but also a really comfortable and comforting place in which there were men like us and men different from us who are all there to experience something similar. Simon is a gay man researching masculinity culture at ANU. Since that first time, he's become obsessed with going back to these special steamy places. I've been back to that sauna multiple times and I've been to other saunas in Australia and in the UK and France and they all have that same that same feeling. Um, I walk in and it's comfortable. There's comfortableness in being naked. There's comfortableness in sometimes not being naked. Uh, there's comfortableness in the sex and then there's comfortableness in just, you know, sitting in a spa or swimming in the pool. Um, most saunas will have some sort of food and you can get drinks so you can actually stay there for quite a long time if you really want to. Um, and it's a really nice place to disconnect from the rest of the world as well and to really focus on this on this one little small community for a few hours or even longer if you really want to. The gay bathhouse is hardly a 20th century phenomenon. Gay men have been gathering in these spaces since back in ancient times. There, there has been examples of that throughout history and uh, you can see that when you think about, for example, the Roman baths as well as um, Greek saunas, which are often have that kind of homoerotic imagery and often involved uh, gay sex. Uh, so, yeah, there's certainly elements of that in history and I think a lot of gay saunas now borrow from a lot of that imagery. So you do go to gay saunas that are adorned with kind of Roman iconography uh, and uh, sort of tapping back into that history. For a radio story many years ago, I took a tour of a gay sauna in Melbourne and yep, columns everywhere. They sure love those columns. The saunas of today generally have two main areas, the pools, spas, saunas and steam rooms with bars selling snacks and meals and even lounges and movie theatres for chatting and meeting other people. People can be nude, but generally aren't allowed to get frisky in there. All that happens in a separate area with lots of dark rooms with benches, beds, swings, straps and anything else you can imagine. Saunas started popping up in Australia in the 60s, and Nick Henderson from the Australian Queer Archives tells me that the first venue was opened in Sydney, above a cake shop, by a woman. In the Australian context, the first one was opened, uh, I believe, in 1968 in Bondi Junction. It was operated by Dawn O'Donnell, uh, and then subsequently additional saunas uh, opened. Uh, Ken's Karate Club was housed in the old Purple Onion, which was a kind of a, an unlicensed camp bar and drag venue down in Melbourne. Uh, there's one that's just closed that had been continuously operating since 1970, which is Caulfield Sauna, uh, or later known as Bay City Sauna. 
corner. For a lot of gay men, these venues offered an opportunity to really liberate themselves, their body, um, liberate their kind of social connections and have this opportunity to free themselves from the sorts of oppression and restrictions that they saw, you know, any place. It could be at home, it could be, you know, in their place of residence, it could be at work and it was a separate space. So they became spaces not just for sex, but for socialising. Um, they became spaces where people did meet others. Um, and for example, with KKK Sauna, that was also a space where there was drag shows around the pool uh, and other kind of things that were going on. Uh, so, you know, there was a lot. They weren't just a place that people kind of went and had anonymous sex. They were, they were certainly much more than that. But things have really changed since the good old days, with many long-running saunas closing down. And Simon says we can blame gentrification. There has been closures of saunas around the world. And so some of the most famous saunas in places like London, for example, have closed um, partially due to to that, due to the uh, less of a demand, but also due to some development pressures, particularly because a lot of saunas uh, were developed in Um, often in poorer areas, which are now gentrifying, and so a lot of saunas are getting pushed out. Nick says that in Australia, these demographic shifts came in conjunction with changes to regulation around brothels, and local governments would opportunistically count saunas in this category. For many years during the 1980s, uh, police tried to prosecute a number of saunas and close them down on that basis. So a lot of the raids that were happening of saunas, which happened frequently during the 1980s, were done on the basis that they were brothels. Uh, And eventually these saunas owners were able to convince authorities that the spaces weren't brothels and so they, you know, changed the the local planning laws. But a lot of local councils aren't interested in having those sort of spaces in their, you know, council areas. So it is is tricky. If that wasn't enough of a blow, soon saunas would face a new challenge, Grindr. As the revolutionary hookup app and other similar dating sites took off in the late noughties, gay men were newly able to find other men in their area with just a tap on their phone. Simon says that while this shift is eroding the sauna as a necessity, he believes they still have some important advantages over swiping. Saunas play probably um, less of a role than they have previously, um, particularly with the rise of um, apps like Grindr and Scruff, where men can meet men online, often um, uh, with lots of men in their vicinity. Uh, that makes it a lot easier compared to in the you know 70s and 80s when that was really difficult. Um, in saying that, however, thankfully many still exist uh, and they're actually often still very popular and they're popular across the spectrum of age of men. So you still get young men who go to saunas, ranging to much older men, men in their 60s, 70s and 80s who go to saunas and who probably have been going to saunas for many, many decades. And it's it's really great. I think one of the great things about going to gay saunas is that diversity of men. Um, it is a broad spectrum of people who come to these places. I think saunas break down some of the perceptions and discrimination that can often come with sex about who is sexy and who is um, not sexy. Uh, so when you're on Grinder or Scruff, it can be really quick and easy to filter out, oh, you know, that person's too old, that person's too skinny, that person's whatever. 
Um, and I think that people do that a lot and people do that in dating lives a lot as well. Um, for some reason, when you get into the sauna, that often breaks down quite a bit and you'll see situations in which that doesn't happen. And it's, it's because of the broad spectrum of men who are there, but it's also because of the energy of the space. And it doesn't matter how old you are, what you look like, you know, everyone sort of participates. And it, I think it maintains its existence because it offers a really different uh, experience for men. You can sit and chat with men and get to know men uh, in a non-sexual way. And so you com can commune together and then you can go and have sex with each other in the same place. And then you can jump between those two things. And that's quite an enjoyable experience. The sauna might seem like a bit of a quaint throwback, but Simon thinks that's part of why these gathering places are significant and need to stick around. They're a monument to the past and the hard-won battles for queer men's safety and pleasure. One of the things that is really nice about going to a sauna is that it keeps the connection for gay men without history. Men were not able to have sex with other men in a safe way, uh, and saunas appeared as a, as a response to that. Going to saunas now, you get a sense of connecting to a part of gay culture that is beautiful and fun and enjoyable, but also historically really important. And that's one of the reasons I'm really glad that they continue on. It helps men, young men who go to them today, also remember that these places came for a reason uh, and exist um, because of um, historical discrimination, but that we can also go to them safely now because of the fights we had. I think that that connection to history is actually really important uh, and I think it's, it's an integral part of SORNAS today. Writer and researcher Simon Copland ending that story by Nat Tenchich. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations, live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.